This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit WOGCC.com. Well, good morning. Uh, nice. Good response. Awesome. Um, obviously, we're still in the definition series. And uh, quick question, how many, are there anybody in here? Is there anybody? I guess that'd be better grammar. Is there anybody in here who is the pop drinkers? Pop, pop drinkers rather than, okay, all right, I thought so, nice. What about the soda folks? Any soda folks in the house? Okay, nice. I'm from the South, so we, we, we say soda. Or actually, you know, in the South, there are places in Texas where I was at where they, uh, the waiter would come up to you and say, what kind of Coke do you want? And, and you would say Coke, and, or they would say what kind. If you ordered Coke, they'd say what kind of Coke. And you could kind of look, well, I said Coke. Well, do you want what kind? Sprite and stuff. So it's weird. Anyways, we're continuing on in the definition series. Obviously, I'm not Pastor Derek. I'm Pastor Stephen. For those of you who might not be here regularly, I am the worship and teaching pastor. Normally, I'd be doing what Pastor Keith did. I'm thankful for him stepping in so I could step in. Pastor Derek has been away with it. Yeah, let's give a hand clap to Pastor Keith and the team. They did a great job. And uh, uh, Pastor Derek's been away with his family for Thanksgiving, uh, visiting their family down in the south. And so that's a good thing, and I'm glad that we're able to let him slip away and do that. Um, We're going to continue on, as I said, in the definitions series this morning. Before I get started, let's pray and ask God to, uh, to bless this. Lord, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for your goodness, your faithfulness, and your love. Um, Lord, I just ask that you would speak through me. God, help me to say what you want to be said. Give me uh, clarity and wisdom to, to communicate understanding of, uh, of things that are true from your scriptures. God, we thank you so much for this time. Help us all grow to know you closer, to know you more, and in so uh, to be more like you. We thank you so much for this day. We thank you for the life that you've given us, for your grace abundant towards our lives. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. I love living in Wisconsin. I'm so glad to be here. You know, uh, I have now lived here a mo- uh, wait a year and three weeks, so hooray, uh, and I, which is still short enough to where I still love the snow. So I know some of you think that's crazy, but when you've lived in the South all your life, snow is very exciting. So uh, I've still got a few weird things about me like that that are working out. And once again, if I have some accent come in on some words, you're just going to have to forgive that. Um, today, there is a question that I ask you guys a lot. You know, if you've been here more than two weeks, probably, you've heard me ask this question. I'll ask it a lot of times in the middle of our worship set uh, when we're worshiping God and everything. And that question is, isn't God good? And when I ask that, you guys always respond. You say yes, and you clap, and you cheer and stuff, because he is good. He is awesome. And uh, that is so true. That is a great truth that we see in the scripture. I can take you just in the book of Psalms alone to show you 20 to 30 passages that talk about just how good God is. You can see it all throughout scripture from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation. The whole Bible is riddled with the theme of God is good. He is gracious. He is merciful. He is loving. He is kind. And so we're in this definition series. And I also know, and I also am aware, because we live in a real world, this is real life, and we face real situations. And sometimes... um, when, when someone asks you, is God good? Or when you see that in the Bible, or when you make that statement yourself, God is good, 
it's easy to sometimes think, well, yeah, I know the Bible says that. God is good. But what about this? Or it's easy to think, if God is good, then why? If God is good, then why this? If God is so good, then why is this happening? If God is so good, then why does this go on? And that's what we're going to be talking about today. It's kind of a tough subject to talk about. And I, even when I was preparing to talk about it and praying, I was like, God, are you sure you want me to talk about this? This is a, a tough subject to talk about, but this is what I believe the Lord wants me to talk about today. Um, let's look at the definition of the word good. Um, because, you know, words can mean multiple things. If I say to you, hey, isn't it cool in here? Well, you could think I'm meaning one of a few things. If I'm saying it's cool in here, you could be thinking, hey, we have orange walls with light sconces on them that are pretty cool, and we've got the lights all up here, and we've got the design on the stage and the black carpet, and we've got the screens that we play the videos, we've got announcement videos and bumper videos and blah, blah, blah. It's pretty cool in here, meaning culturally cool, or some of you from different generations might have said hip or even possibly groovy. <laughs> I got you, Carl. And uh, whatever term you might have understood when I say cool. Or you could have thought that I was saying uh, it's chilly or cold in here from that word cool. And so it's important to understand that a lot of times different words, that was a quick catch, wasn't it? (laughs) Different words can mean different things. And so sometimes when we say something is good, we have to look at what it means when we say it is good. So let's look at that definition, good, right here on the screen. We've got number one, morally excellent, virtuous, righteous, and the example there, pious, a good man, meaning a morally excellent man, a virtuous man, a righteous man, a pious man. Number two, we've got satisfactory in quality, quantity, or degree. And we have an example there, a good teacher or in good health. It is a satisfactory quality of that teacher or a satisfactory quality of health. That third definition of high quality, excellent. The fourth definition, right, proper, fit. And then the example there, it is good that you are here, meaning it is right, it is proper, it is fit that you are here. His credentials are good, his credentials are right. And then that fifth definition, well-behaved. A good child would mean a well-behaved child. So we're looking at the word good right there, and we see already five definitions, five potential meanings for that one word. And so when we make this statement, God is good, you have to understand that that could mean a lot of different things. Now, I can guarantee you this. It's not hard at all to see in Scripture that God is good. But a lot of times in life, as I said earlier, we face, we face trials, we face situations, we face tribulations, we go through hardship, we experience suffering. And becoming a Christian does not exempt you from those things. In fact, in John 16, verse 33, Jesus himself, the God-man, said, in this world, you will have tribulation. Not you might, not if you mess up, you will, not if you don't have faith, you will. He said, in this world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. I want you to turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13, or look it up on your phone or your iPad or whatever you have this morning. 1 Corinthians 13 is a very famous passage. Um, It is the chapter that is the love chapter. 
You've got scriptures from 1 Corinthians 13 on your walls at home. You've probably got plaques on your wall that have the whole love passage on them. You might have drank coffee this morning from a mug that has the whole love passage on it. You've heard it. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is gentle. Love is, and it goes on to define, as we're in the definition series, define what love is. And I'm pretty sure 2,000 years ago or so, the Apostle Paul was thinking, you know what? In a few years, Word of Grace is going to be talking about definitions, so I better write this and define love for them. I'm sure that's what he was thinking. But that verse, there's that whole passage in Corinthians talking about love, and I'm going to start right after that, or right at the end of that, in verse 8. It says, love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Verse 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Here we have the Apostle Paul telling the church of Corinth and eventually telling us that we know in part. He's saying we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. What he's saying with all those fancy terms and all that is right now in this life, in this world, in this time, we have partial understanding. We know part of what's going on. But when that which is perfect has come, what he said, when he's saying that, he means when we are in eternity. He's saying when we either die and go be with Jesus or when Jesus brings us all to him in the rapture. He's saying at that point, that when he's saying when that which is perfect has come, that's what he's talking about, when we go to heaven. When that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part, our partial understanding, will be done away. He says now we see in a mirror dimly. He's saying we, we kind of see a reflection of what's going on. But then we will see face to face. Not a reflection, not blurry. We will see face to face. Now we know in part, but then he says we will know even as we are known. How well does God know you? Completely, right? God knows everything about you, which can sometimes be scary. God knows everything about you. And he's saying right there that on that day, we will know even as we are known. And there's another scripture in there in the middle of that passage that I, that I read that I've heard quoted and preached many different times in a context, he, the whole scripture of when I was a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, I behaved as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. Now, I've heard that passage taught a whole lot of times. I went to Bible school, and I was in a dorm, and we had guys' Bible studies, and that scripture would come up, or I've been to men's conferences where it's all men, and that scripture would come up, and the essential message that people would be using that scripture for is, all right, guys, we're men now. We're not kids anymore, so it's time to pull up our bootstraps and let's be men. Let's be men of, of manliness and, and do man stuff and stop acting like kids. Let's grow up. Let's be men. And although that's a good intention, I think it is a good thing to be manly men. Men, I think it's good to be men. That's not what that scripture is saying. 
What he's talking about in context of this passage is when I thought as a child, or when I was a child, I thought as a child, I understood as a child, I reasoned as a child, I behaved as a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. In this context, he's saying, in this life, we know in part. Remember, that's what he's saying. We know in part. We prophesy in part. In this life, our understanding is like a child's understanding compared to a man's understanding. And when we become perfect or when we become men, and the comparison there is when we are into eternity, when we are in, uh, in heaven with Jesus, then our childish understanding will be put away. And this made me think of something. You know, Christmas is coming up. Anybody excited about Christmas? Any of the Christmas lovers? I am one of the Christmas lovers. I was excited. Uh, it didn't take until, what was it, Friday? I turned on my car Friday morning, and there was Christmas music on the radio, and I smiled. I, thought, I think it's wonderful. I love it. Uh, I'm also very excited because on Christmas morning, I'm flying out to Texas to see my family. I'm super pumped about that. I haven't seen them in a year, so I'm really, really excited about that. I'm also very excited because I'm going to Nanny Maris's house, Nanny and Papa. And uh, that's very exciting for a, a few reasons. One, of course, as I stated already, I'm going to see all my family. That's going to be great. We're going to hug and laugh and tell stories and all that jazz, open presents. Then there's this other reason that I'm really happy and excited about going, and that is Nanny's chocolate cake. <laughs> now, let me tell you about my Nanny's chocolate cake. Nanny makes everything from scratch. She is not the by-the-box, do-the-steps cook. She has a garden in her backyard. They grow all their own vegetables. She makes her homemade vegetable soup. Everything she makes, chicken and dumplings, everything she makes from scratch, and it is divine. You take a bite of Nanny Maris's food, and you think you have stepped into eternity already, because how could something on this side of eternity be so good? Nanny makes this chocolate cake, okay? And she even knows if I'm coming, I'm expecting this chocolate cake. Everybody loves this chocolate cake, but she knows me in particular. I'm about that chocolate cake. I will come in the door, give her a hug, and she'll pull back and say, I made the chocolate cake. And I will smile and I will hug her even harder. And so she has this awesome chocolate cake. Now, I'm going to rewind to a little story in my past about this chocolate cake when I was about seven or eight years old, so like 20, 21 years ago. And I was a kid, it was Christmas, we'd open presents, we ate the feast that Nanny prepared, and it's dessert time. I go into the the side room where she has this spread of all the desserts that she makes, the chocolate cake, the pecan pie, the lemon meringue pie, the key lime pie, the turtles, the divinity, the, the peanut brittle, everything. She makes all this stuff, it's just ridiculous. And so I go in there, and there it is. I peel back the cover. Ah, Angels are singing. I behold the chocolate cake. And I get it, put it on my plate. I sit down like the luckiest boy in the world, and I indulge in this wonderful, sugary, delightful chocolate cake. It's delicious. It's wonderful. I've got it all over my face probably, but I'm happy because it is good. And then I go to my mom and say, Mom, can I have another piece? And she says, it's Christmas, sure. So I go in, I get another slice of cake, put it on the plate, I eat it, and I am just so happy. I'm on cloud nine. What do you think happens next? I want some more. I want some more cake. So I go in one more time. Mom, you look so beautiful today. 
your hair is just glistening in the incandescent light. It's beautiful. What do you want, Stephen? Do you think maybe I could have another piece of cake? No, you've already had two. That's enough. And instantly, I experience what we call shoulder collapse syndrome, which goes like this. And then the infamous walk of shame, back down the hall, like this, back into the bedrooms where you slam the door and act like a brat because you didn't get what you want. And I'm pouting, and I'm upset, and I'm thinking, you evil woman, how could you? This cake is good. It's delicious. I have never had anything dance with my taste buds in such a way as that cake does. Why would you withhold this from me? And so I wait about 20 minutes, and I go back down the hall, and I come back in. Mom. Yes, Stephen. Could I please have another piece of chocolate cake? No, I've already told you no. You've had two pieces already. That's enough. <laughs> and I go back down the hall. My hopes are dashed. And I sit there, and I try and devise a plan. What can I say to butter mom up? How can I sweeten her up? And I go back in one more time. Third attempt. Mom. Can I please, 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 can I please? We're not, we only come here once a year. Can I please have another piece of chocolate cake? She says, fine, go get another piece. I was like, yes, victory. I run around in the kitchen, go in there, and I say, nanny, can I have a plate? And she says, what for? And I said, mom said I could have another piece of chocolate cake. And she said, no. This is wrong, people. I am angry. What is going Mom said I couldn't. She said, I heard your mother tell you twice already that you can't have chocolate cake. She's out for your good. No. And I went in the room and just cried because there's no combating nanny. <laughs> there is no bucking nanny systems. It's her way or the highway. She has the pedal, paddle on the wall and you, you just don't mess with it. <sighs> I was upset. Because I didn't get what I wanted because what I wanted I thought was good. And it was. If you were to say chocolate cake is good, you would not be lying. If you were looking at it in the context of chocolate cake tastes good, right? Chocolate cake is delicious. It is good to your taste buds. But let's look at another aspect of chocolate cake. Is the nutritional value of chocolate cake good? Not so much. Not really. No. I want to believe it is. I would be the happiest person in the world if it was. But it's not. Loaded with sugar. But I thought it was good. But my parents know better. Right? My parents know better. Why? They have lived longer. They have experienced long-term consequences of decisions. I'm sure they have had a tummy ache before from having too much sugar or too much sweets or things that are bad for you, eating too much candy or whatever. whatever. They know better than I do, and they love me, and they are out for my good. Now, what they understand to be good and what I understood as a child to be good were two different things. They understood why I thought cake was good, and they would have agreed with me if I said, is cake good? They would have said yes, right? They would have said yes. But their understanding of cake was greater than my understanding of cake. So that when I wanted more, 
they were responsible to do what was good for me. Right? Their understanding was greater than mine. I remind you of this passage we just read in 1 Corinthians 13 where Paul says, we know in part. We only know a part of the picture of what's going on. But God knows everything. God, Scripture teaches us that God is omniscient. That's a big fancy word to mean all-knowing. He knows everything. Hebrews tells us that there's nothing hidden from his eyes. He knows everything about everything. He created everything. Everything is spinning right now as he's upholding it. God knows everything about every situation in your life. He knows where you are at right now. He knows what you are going through right now. He knows what you've been through. He knows what you will go through. He knows what is good for you. He knows what is bad for you. And sometimes I think some of our prayers don't get answered because he is good. You see what I mean? I think sometimes our prayers don't get answered because he is good, not because he's bad. And he understands more behind the scenes than we do. In the same way as I was a child and I was asking for something that I thought was good, my parents knew was not for my good. Sometimes the things we ask for from God may actually be more destructive than good. Consider food once again. Why do we eat? Why do human beings eat? Well, the quick answer is because you get hungry, right? You get hungry, so you eat, so you're not hungry. But the thing is, if you eat just because you're hungry, then you'll eat whatever to make yourself not hungry. But if you understand the reason that human beings eat is because you need nutrition in your body so that your body can have sustenance, so that you can convert those nutrients into things for your body that it needs to live and move and do everything that our bodies need, then you would eat differently. But if it's just for getting taking care of hunger, then you can just eat whatever that won't make you hungry anymore. But if you're out for your good and you look at why you eat, then it will affect the way that you decide or choose what you will eat. And you can eat things, and, I, and this is the sad part that we all know, most of the things, not all of them, but most of the things that we want to eat that we would think are good, as in taste, are not good as in nutrition, Right? It's sad, isn't it? Part of the time I'm like, God, why? Why wouldn't you make the, the things that taste good, good? And I could go off for 30 minutes there. But we have to understand, as is seen in Scripture over and over and over and over, that God is good, right? Do you believe that this morning? Well, if God is good, then why? If God is good, then what? Why am I going through this? Why am I facing this? If God is good, it could be that God is smarter than us, knows where we're at, knows our situation, knows what we need more than we do. It could be that. It could be that God knows what we need more than we do. And I'll take it a step further and say God even knows what we would want more than we do. God knows what will fulfill more than we do. God knows what will satisfy more than we do. God knows what will give peace and joy and contentment more than we do. We live in a temporal world. We live in a temporary world, 
The scripture says we are pilgrims passing through. We are aliens. We are strangers. We don't, we don't belong here. And your heart knows that that's true. You can watch the news and just know there's so much wrong in this world. There's so much brokenness. Why? Because of sin. Sin is the reason that, that this world is broken. As it says in Romans uh, 12, uh, oh, I'm sorry, Romans 5:12, that sin entered the world and death by sin. That because of sin, this world is broken, it's fallen. There are fallen people, there are evil. There's nothing more evil than a man that doesn't know God. The things that a man can come up with in his heart and in his mind can be so wicked apart from God. We were all apart from God from one, at one time, and you know what I'm talking about. We face so much in this world. There is an enemy. There is a devil who is an adversary, our enemy. There are demonic forces. There are so many things coming against us at all times. And the same way that God is omniscient, he is also omnipotent, which is another big fancy Christian word for all-powerful. And if God is all-powerful, then what's the deal? Why hasn't he done this for me when I pray for it? Why hasn't he answered this prayer why, is, why am I still facing this? Why am I still going through this? Why am I experiencing this hardship? God's good. I want to take your attention now to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John 2, and I'm going to start in verse 15, says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away in the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So right here, the Apostle John is telling us, don't love the world or the things of the world because he who loves the world and the things of the world does not love the Father. The love of the Father does not abide in him. If you go to Matthew chapter 6, you can see Jesus say pretty much the same thing where he says, a man can't, can't love God and money. He says mammon, that's a an old word for basically money. He says, man can't love God and money. You can't serve two masters. You'll love one and hate the other. And right here, John is pointing out, if you love this world and the things of this world, the love of the Father does not abide in you. And I think sometimes some of the reason why, why things may not work out the way we would want them to or expect them to with our good God who is all-powerful and is out for our good as it says in Romans 8, 28, all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So if he's always working things out for our good, then why did situation A not plan out the way I wanted it to or situation B not go in a manner that I thought would be good? And I think that sometimes maybe God doesn't answer our prayers because, or doesn't answer our prayers in the way we would expect because he is trying to guard the affections of our heart. Because it is far too easy for humans to love the things of this world, even as we're Christians. It is far too easy to love money. It is. It's far too easy to place our trust in money. I, I'll speak for myself here. When my wallet is full, I feel a little better about life. Right? That's just how it goes. You feel more comfortable. You feel more confident. You're not worried about finances. When you're healthy, you're not sick or anything like that. Feel good. You're a little more confident about your ability to do all the things that you need to do. 
And I think it's far too easy for us to let our affections, even if we're unaware of it, to let our affections be set in the things of this world. How, how many people in this world think, if I can just find that special someone, if only I could find that someone, if only I could get married, if only I could get that raise at work, if only I could get that promotion, then I could take care of this situation, and that would work out. If only my, my husband was not nuts, if only my kids were not crazy, if only this situation were better, if only I didn't have to deal with this, then everything would be good. Rather than realizing or remembering Christ is enough. Consider this. The God of the entire universe who is holy and righteous and perfect and all-powerful and all-knowing and every great adjective that you could try to give to explain how awesome and how great he is and all the adjectives in the English language would fall short of explaining how great he really is. That God who spoke and said, let there be light, and there was a sun, and the God who said, let there be, and everything that he said happened and manifest, the God that as we read through the Bible, all the countless crazy miracles, that God wants to know you. What is greater than that? Is there anything? No. There is nothing greater than that, than knowing God. The gospel in the last half a century has been confused a lot. And the gospel, anytime you hear someone say the gospel, that basically means good news. The word gospel in the Greek means good news. So when they say preach the good news, they're saying, or preach the gospel, they're saying preach the good news. What is the good news? What is the gospel? Because a lot of people think that the gospel is follow Jesus so he can fix all your problems. And although that sounds really awesome, and although that would sell a lot of books and get a lot of followers, and although it sounds great, it's not exactly true, that in and of itself. The gospel of Jesus Christ is, we were sinners. We rebelled against God. We did not deserve anything but death, but because of his grace, his love, his mercy, his goodness, he became a man as Jesus. God became man, died for us to forgive our sins and reconcile us to him. The gospel is not follow Jesus and he'll give you everything. The gospel is follow Jesus and you get Jesus. The gospel is about getting God. The gospel is about knowing God. Because why? There is nothing greater. Think about Romans 8.32 where the Apostle Paul said, Our God who did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us all, will he not also give us all things? Consider uh, Matthew 6 and 33, one of the most famous verses there is. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Why is that? Why is it that if God did not spare his own son, will he not also freely give us all things? Why? He didn't spare his own son. That is the greatest he could have given you. There is nothing greater God could give you than Jesus. 
nothing greater God could give you than Jesus. And so, when I'm facing trial, when I'm facing hardship, when I'm going through hard things and hard times in life, and I'm praying, it's a good thing. I'm not saying don't pray for healing. I'm not saying don't pray for money. I'm not saying don't pray for your situation to change. You should. In Philippians, Paul said, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. So we see it's good to pray for these things. It's good to pray for God to work on your behalf in these situations. But do not let your hope, your satisfaction, your fulfillment, your joy be set in those situations. Because those situations will always change. They will change. Your hope, your satisfaction, your fulfillment, your joy must be set in that you know Jesus. Why? Because he is enough. He is enough. If you went through this entire life, always sick, always broke, never having any friends, never finding the love of your life, if you went through this entire life from day one to day whenever, never having anything except you knew Jesus, you won. If you've got Jesus, you've got all that matters. You've got the most important thing. Whoa, whoa, but God's good and he wants to give me stuff. Listen, I'm not saying that God is not a part of those things. I have personally, with my eyes, witnessed miracles. I have seen a person whose feet were uneven like this, and I sat and watched as someone prayed for them, watched their foot, their leg grow out to where their feet matched. I have seen that happen. I have seen miracles happen. I believe God still heals. I believe that he still does miracles. I believe that God is still active on our behalf in our finances. I believe that God is still active in every area of our life. The scripture says that God knows the very number of hairs on our head, even though for some of us that's not very many. (laughs) He knows the very number of hair on our head. What does that tell me? He cares about every single detail of your life. Every single detail. That is where I should be able to step back, look at the fact that God cares about everything, knows everything about me, loves me, is good, and is for my good. And if there's a situation that I'm seeing that I'm not getting what I want as I'm praying and asking him for it, then he knows something I don't know. And my position As his child, the same way I am a child of my parents, my position ought to be to trust him when he says, no more cake. (laughs) We can't understand everything. We can't. In Isaiah 55, God said, my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways. As far as the heavens are above the earth, my thoughts and my ways are higher than your thoughts and your ways. But what I do know all the things that are happening in our life that, I, that, that we don't understand, that we don't know. You know, I, I think about my car. I have a car. I know a lot about cars, but I don't know everything about cars. I can't take you out to my car, dissemble it, put it back together. I don't understand every tiny functioning piece. I understand a lot of it. I could open up the hood and point at a lot of things and tell you what they are and what they do, but not all of it. There's a more about my car that I don't understand than what I do understand. Okay, I don't understand all of it. Does that stop me from putting my key in the ignition, turning it on and driving it? No. Why do I do that? Because someone who knew more about that than me designed it and created it and built it, and I trust their knowledge, and I use what they created. 
I don't let what I don't know come against what I do know. And so the things in your life that you don't know, that you don't understand, why is this happening? Why am I going through this? Why am I experiencing this? You cannot let those cancel out what you do know, and that is God is good. God is love. God is faithful. God is for your good. He is for you, not against you. And I cannot let these situations in my life that I don't understand combat what I do know. And that is God is good. That is God is faithful. That is God is for me, not against me. Listen, keep praying for the stuff, you know. Keep praying for situations in your life. That's good. I'm not saying don't do that. And, and, and if you're sitting there, if you're mad at me right now, I'm not saying God is against finances. I'm not saying God wants you to be poor. I'm not saying that being rich is a bad thing. I think it's a good thing. What I am saying is the love of money is a bad thing. And putting your faith in money and putting your faith in finances or putting your faith in a situation or a circumstance or a relationship or any natural thing being perfect, I am saying that that is wrong. All these situations in our life, what is the one thing that God cares about? The position of our heart. That's what he cares about. Why? Because as it said in John, 1 John right there in chapter 2, you can't love the world and love the Father at the same time. You can't love the things of this world. And it's so easy. It happens to me, guys. I'll, I'll find myself, just like I said a minute ago, I'll find myself in a position where on a, on a day when I have more money, I'm feeling confident. I'm not worried. And what that tells me about myself, this is not good, is that sometimes I trust money more than I trust God. That's not good. And when that happens, I have to be aware of it. I have to ask the Holy Spirit to make me aware of those things so that I don't let my love and my trust go into these worldly things. Because here's what we must understand. Our God is an eternal God who sees with an eternal perspective for eternal people living in a temporary world. You catch that? God is an eternal God. He existed forever before. He's going to exist forever after this world. He sees from that perspective. He sees from eternity. And he sees us as eternal people who will live forever somewhere. But he also knows that we live in a temporary world. The same way my parents knew long-term decisions and were looking out for my immediate situation by saying, no, I'm not going to give you what you want right there. I didn't understand that at that time. Why? Because I was a child, I'd only known short-term. I had no concept of long-term. I had no concept of the decision I'm about to make right now is going to long-term <laughs> affect my Christmas. God, who sees from eternity, looks into your situation of temporary. He knows beginning to end. He knows you inside and out. And he is fighting for the affections of your heart to protect them. And he is out for your good, eternal good. He is out for your spiritual good. Now, a lot of times, the natural does not affect that. But sometimes it does. And so, you've got to come into a position where you can look at everything that's going on in your life 
And even on the bad days, be able to say, Christ is enough. You know, about two months ago, I was going through a hard time in my life with a certain issue. And I was frustrated. I was mad at certain people. And it was not their fault. It was my fault. I was just going through a funk. You know, I was going through a stank or whatever you might want to call it. It was a a stank, yeah. Uh, (laughs) I was having what what we would call a bad day. But I was having a few bad days. And uh, pastors aren't exempt from those either. And uh, I was going through a few bad days. It was a bad, a challenging time for me. And in that time, I was just, I, I, I remember a day, I was at Walmart, which could have amplified things. <laughs> <laughs> I was at Walmart, and I'm walking around, and I'm just, oh, I can't believe this. And then this person, I can't believe it. I wish they would. And why is this? And God, you need to, what's going on? And I'm just griping to myself, just mumbling, moaning, griping. I'm sitting there, and it was actually the week, it was actually the week a few months ago where Pastor Derek was just harping on, Christ is enough, Christ is enough, Christ is enough. And I'm sitting there in Walmart, and I'm going, and all of a sudden I hear, Christ is enough. And I stop, and I'm like, and I remind myself of that truth. Christ is enough. That even if that situation never changed, Christ is enough. That even if I went through hardship and suffering, if I went through all these different things, I I mean, consider the apostles in the Bible, the things that they went through as accounted in the Bible. Paul gives this account in Corinthians. He says, I was flogged this many times. I was stoned this many times. I was in prison for this long. I went through this. I did, I was, all these things that are happening to me. And the funny thing is, the epistle of joy, the letter to the Philippians, he wrote while he was in one of the most awful prisons in the entire Roman Empire, the maritime prison. He writes the letter about joy. Philippians is a book about joy. He wrote that when he was in one of the worst circumstances in his life. This message today is not to try and fight for your happiness. It is to contend for your joy because there is a difference. Happiness is circumstantial. On Thursday, I was happy because I was stuffing in my face with, with, with turkey and mashed potatoes and gravy and broccoli casserole. And then Thursday night, when I was out around the backside of Target in a line and it was 20-something degrees and I was freezing, <laughs> my happiness began to falter. And when I got to Kohl's and I was waiting in line for an hour, yes, I guess I'm one of the crazies. I don't think I'm going to do that next year when I was waiting in line for an hour to try and get this one ottoman, and I walk around the corner of this aisle to where the ottomans are, and the lady grabs the last one. My happiness faltered. Happiness comes and goes. I am here today to contend for your joy, which is in Christ, that is constant, that does not waver. He doesn't change. It says in the book of James that Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights in whom there is no variation and no shadow of turning. It says every good thing comes from God who does not change. Your circumstances will change. You will have good days. You will have bad days. If you're in a good season right now and things are going great, I'm personally in that spot and I'm happy about it. But guess what? Hardship's going to come again someday. We're not exempt. But when that day comes or if you are in that day right now, You've got to remind yourself, you've got Jesus. What's greater? 
What's greater? There's nothing greater. And so as long as I'm in this situation, I'm praying, I'm putting that situation before God, I am trusting him with it, and I am resting in the fact that I've got Jesus and Christ is enough. I've got Jesus and Christ is enough. He's smarter than me. He is for my good. He is out. He sees from an eternal perspective and he's good and faithful and I know that and because of that, I choose to trust him. Referring back to that passage from Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus, we know Matthew 6, 33, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. And that whole passage he's saying, don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about the clothes you're going to wear. Don't worry about all these natural material things. And I love this thing that he says. He says, for your heavenly father knows you have need of these things. That ought to minister great peace to you. He didn't say, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink. Don't worry about what, you know, money and things like that because you can work hard and pray for it and all this kind of stuff. No, those are good things. You need to have a job. <laughs> That's a good thing. You need to work. You need to pray. That's a good thing. But he didn't place the hope of that in those things. He said, your heavenly father knows you have need of these things. My parents, how many of you in here are parents? How, what would your kids' lives be like if you just let them do what they wanted to do all the time? What if you just let them call all the shots, make every decision? What if you just said, you know what, I'm staying in bed today, do whatever you want. How many of you know bad things would happen? Why? Because they don't know what you know. They don't know, fire hot, ow. (laughs) They don't know, too much candy, sick. (laughs) They don't know, the pants go on this way, you know. (laughs) They might, they grow and they learn. But you've got to come into a position where you can trust your heavenly father. And if you're sitting here thinking, well, my father was a joke, or I didn't have a good father, listen, God the Father is the perfect father that your earthly father should have been but was incapable of being. God, I'll say that again because it's a lot of words in there. God the Father is the good and perfect father that your earthly father should have been but was not capable of being. God is perfect and he is out for your good and he loves you and he is for you. That's why there's so much scripture in the New Testament about holding on to your hope. In Hebrews chapter 10, it says, hold fast the confession of your hope, of your faith, for he who promised is faithful. Don't let go of the hope that you're holding on to because he's faithful. That's why we are to encourage each other every day because we're going through things. If you know someone's down, encourage them, be there for them, strengthen them, lift them up, remind them of the gospel, remind them that God is for them, remind them that he's going to see them through, remind them that no matter what they're going through or how tough it is, that God is aware of them. God knows their situation and he is for their good. Sometimes that doesn't mean what we think it means. And it is our position to trust our good father. Let's bow our heads. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit wogcc.com.